welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Greedy. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the international differences in the application of IFRS. Surely there's none, it's just IFRS. But to tell us all, I'm joined today by Chris Noves. Welcome to the studio, Chris. Thank you, Riz. Now, Chris, you, I don't know if you know this, you are our first non-PWC guest on the podcast. That is very exciting. And an honour for me, yes. <laughs> He's running out the door now. He's like, what have I signed up to? So, Chris, first of all, just tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a professor of accounting at the uh, University of London Royal Holy College and also at the University of Sydney. So it depends what the time of year or is as to where I am. I've just come back from Sydney. He's now. looking bronzed. <laughs> now that summer's arrived in the UK and winter's arrived in Australia, I'm here. I have more connection to accounting reality than many professors. I sat on the IASC uh, for eight years, representing the UK, for it, the last eight years of the IESC, in fact. Um, before that, I sat on the UK Standards Set of the Accounting Standards Committee, and uh, I've sat on committees in Brussels and representing the profession. And a little-known fact, true to my heart, is Chris also taught me accounting at Reading University, which is exciting, Chris. You were amazing. So we're very honoured to have you. And what we're talking about today is one of your research pieces around, I said, the international differences in the application of IFRS. So before we get into your findings, what, you know, what did you do as part of that study? There are various ways in which practice can differ amongst firms, all of which are using IFRS. There are different versions of IFRS, of course. Uh, there's a slightly different EU version, for example, but maybe that's a topic for another day. What is the most obvious cause of difference is that there are 20 or more deliberate options in IFRS. Some famous ones, for example, one can use fair value or cost for valuing properties. And I was interested in the extent to which uh, those options were actually used. Maybe, for example, everyone merely values buildings at cost, even though in principle they have a choice. Or maybe, more interestingly, uh, the Germans do one thing and the British do another when they're all using the same book of standards. Or maybe pharmaceuticals do one choice and um, hotels do another, for example. So I wanted to find that out, and as far as I could see, nobody knew except anecdotally. So we did a pretty large survey of real annual reports over several years and did some statistical tests to find out whether there really were differences in all these choices. And tell us, so the, on your first point, whether like cost fair value, like did you find differences or you know, nuances of different countries? Very much so. We started with an obvious place to start, that is, 2005 annual reports when IFRS came in for most countries uh, and certainly most countries in Europe. So we looked at the five biggest users of IFRS at the time in terms of stock markets, which were uh, the UK, Australia, France, Germany and Spain. And we took all the index companies, so the FTSE 100 companies, for example, and the Australian 60 S&P index companies. 
And we just looked through all the annual reports and looked at the investment property note and the inventories note to see whether weighted average was used instead of FIFO, that sort of thing. And we did this for about 20 options that were in IFRS. And we did we did statistical tests and for virtually all the 20 options uh, there were highly statistically significant differences wow. between the countries. This is largely not a matter of industry, it's largely a matter of country. That's so to take a nice simple example, the British IFRS using companies tend to focus the balance sheet on net assets equals equity, whereas German IFRS using companies would focus the balance sheet on total assets equals total credits. Now, in a way, this doesn't matter, but it's a symptom of lots of other differences that are going on. So IAS1 doesn't have a standardised format, and what companies do, and here's the basic answer to the why question, why is it different? What companies do is just carry on doing what they did before <laughs> they were using international standards yeah. to the extent that that's allowed in IFRS. And there are lots of ways in which it is allowed in IFRS. To answer your specific question about the investment properties, of the companies using that had investment properties, about 70% of British companies use fair value and 0% of German and French Zero. companies use wow. fair value. And was that because under their old gap that it was cost? Absolutely. We can be very precise. Under previous British gap, SAP 19, <laughs> it was required to use okay. revaluation. And under previous German and French gap, it was not allowed to use revaluation. Yeah. So the previous practice continues even though all the firms have the same choice. Yeah, that does make sense to me though, like practically, if you're already, you know, reporting in the same way and the new gap allows that, then I suppose unless you see a real added bonus of changing, I would keep going the same thing. Yes, well, it's easier. The analysts in your country are used to it. Though there is quite an important point that these days, certainly, an analyst would tend to be not an analyst of French companies, but an analyst of pharmaceutical companies or an analyst of mining companies. And therefore, there's a lot to be said for the whole world's IFRS reporting pharmaceutical companies to do similar practices. And uh, this is the next point. Uh, having done the 2005 investigation, we then did another investigation with the same companies for 2008 reports, just to see whether anything had changed because in 2005 everyone was doing something new would they perhaps have thought more closely about it three years later and we found that Australian and British firms hadn't changed their practices but French and Spanish firms had changed their practices okay. to a noticeable extent in nearly all cases they changed towards what the UK and Australians were doing perhaps because uh, to UK and Australian firms, IFRS was not much of a surprise and they were used to it in a way. Whereas to French and Spanish firms, IFRS was slightly alien and they gradually got used to it, noticing that other large companies in their own sector were doing different things and yeah. perhaps coalesced. Maybe the analysts pushed them 
saying you know, we'd prefer it if you did the same as other big pharma companies or something like yeah. that. I mean, that's interesting. So you, you spotted in the, almost the transition period, you, they followed local gap, but over time, you know, some of those countries actually did change. Yes, some of the companies in some of the countries, but it's still extremely obvious. We've done it again. We did it for 2013 data, and uh, the differences are still largely in place. Uh, and of course, using 2013 data, we've been able to extend the study to include Brazil, South Korea, Canada, and uh, even Japan, where although IFRS is not compulsory, it's increasingly used by large companies on a voluntary basis. And the same story comes through, that is, Canadian companies do things differently, even from UK and Australian companies. Yeah, it's interesting. I must admit, I think being a sector specialist, I thought there would be, like it would be more like sector specific than country, but it's, I understand now you're saying, obviously they've got their local gaps and yeah. it makes a difference. So I mean, it's, the extreme case would be something like the property industry Yeah. So or insurance. Look, we don't talk about insurance. <laughs> <laughs> you would think perhaps that banks and insurance companies and property companies they at least would use fair value for investment properties. Yeah. But no, not, wow. if, not if they're Spanish or French or German. Yes, yeah, so it really is the international angle that drives it more. Yeah. Perfect. And didn't you, like, I know we talked about there almost where there's a policy choice. Were there other things like, I don't know, obviously IFRS is, could, do different countries interpret words differently and things like that? Ah, yes, there's two issues here. There are things that I've called in my writings covert options. So you say covert operations. <laughs> so the previous ones we were talking about, such as FIFO and weighted average or cost or fair value for investment properties, I call those overt options because they're visible in the standard yeah. as you read it, and they're visible the choice in the annual report as you read that. So they're easy to detect both in the standards and in the accounting. But then there are much more subtle things, for example, if you spend loads of cash on development projects in your pharmaceutical company, to what extent is that an asset or is it instead an expense? And uh, IS 38 paragraph 57 um, <coughs> gives you six tests. You have to pass all of them in order to capitalise your development expenditure. But they're a bit vague. So you might come to a different conclusion if you were a German pharmaceutical company compared to if you were a British one. So the rules are the same. There's no choice in principle, but there's room for manoeuvre. This is enormously more difficult to investigate because in order to discover whether German companies were capitalising more or less than British ones, you'd have really to know how much they should have been capitalising in that particular company if they were all doing, making the same decisions. So that's very tricky. And so far, no one's investigated that usefully, I think. Your question is slightly different, which is words. And yes, another piece of research has taken the word impairment and followed the official translations of IS-36 into 20 languages, French and Portuguese and Brazilian Portuguese and Canadian French and Korean and Japanese and so on. Uh, trying to see what the translators have made of this slightly odd English word impairment. 
and very, very few have got the implication of damage that exists in the original English Korean has, but nearly all translations have somehow avoided that. So uh, the uh, Germans have got write-offs and well, literally they've got value losses, but most companies use write-offs. Uh, the problem is that write-offs can be both depreciation or impairment, they're different types of write-offs. The most obvious pitfall here is that the French word for impairment is depreciation, <laughs> and that's not a problem for the French no. because they use a different word for depreciation. But we then followed into the English language reports from the French and German and um, Korean companies, and nearly all listed companies do produce English language reports kindly for us. And we wanted to check whether by the time it got back into English, the French translators uh, were using depreciation or impairment for impairment. Yeah. And rather often, uh, they were saying depreciation really? when they meant impairment. Wow. And the Germans were saying write-offs when they meant impairment. And the Spanish were saying provisions when they meant impairment. So the less than perfect translation of Argus 36 has led to mistakes in the English language reports from the companies. And these have got into WorldScope, for example. So if you look at the WorldScope field for impairment, it's often empty because WorldScope has picked up a depreciation, which is in the English language report. So I think we can say it's actually wrong, um, not just language yeah. problem it's actually it's the wrong numbers have got into things like yeah. WorldScope so that's another yeah. that's not IFRS exactly but it's a knock-on effect impact, yeah so I love that how it went from impairment to depreciation and then when it got, came back it stayed in depreciation yes so wow. we've got several examples of that and this isn't just French this is German and Spanish and Italian um, yeah in fact strangely the only companies for which the annual reports were absolutely fine were Japanese, Chinese and Korean. So, and at first sight that seems odd because these are languages most distant from English. So why did they all get it right? Yeah. And I think the answer is, we can pat ourselves on back here, yeah. that the languages are so distant and IFRS is so foreign, if you will say Japanese, uh, that they got PwC to do the translation. Yeah. Uh, and we got it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that at first sight is counterintuitive, but but it seems to be the explanation. Yeah, brilliant. I can't believe that. So you, you know, you get changes for countries where there's options in the accounting, but also then changes because purely down to translation issues and things like that. Yes, and changes differences internationally because of interpretation of something like IS thirty eight yeah. criteria for capitalization development. Yeah. And that, of course, is not the only one. It's whether we need an impairment, how big the impairment should be, what exactly is the discount rate we use for pensions. Now, in principle, there's no choice on these issues. No. But in practice, there's a, quite a lot of room for manoeuvre. The interpretation is different. <laughs> yeah. And this can depend upon the training of the local accountants or yeah. their long-standing practices the degree to which tax is linked to accounting and bias is their behaviour in various ways.
these are much more difficult to investigate. But the guess is that if there's such a large difference in the visible choices, such as fair value for investment properties, there's almost certainly pretty large differences in the less visible yeah. choices. So do you, obviously, we, you know, IFRS is a, we'd hope in it like an international language and everyone follows it, gets, you know, follows it in the same way. Do you think there is anything more we could do to make, you know, be more comparable and consistent? Well, yes, before I answer that question, let's row back a little and ask a different question. Has accounting got more comparable since, say, 2004? Yeah. And the answer to that question is yes. So we mustn't lose sight of the fact that IFRS is a huge success. So if we, for example, compare French and British reporting in 2004 to French and British reporting now, clearly they're enormously more comparable. So this works, assuming we're talking about the consolidated states of listed companies, of course. Otherwise, there's still large international differences underneath that. But your question is a good one. Could it be made even better? <laughs> Always looking for making better. Uh, uh, yes, I think the answer is yes. So there's not a compelling reason why investment property should be dealt with differently in different countries. Indeed, on this particular case, I was on the IESC when we wrote IES 40, and we, uh, we had 16 members of the board in those days, countries, the UK, France, etc. We got 11 votes out of 16 to insist upon fair value yeah. for the exposure draft. And the exposure draft says fair value, full stop. Yeah. When we came to write the standard, we needed 12 votes to pass the standard. We still only got 11. Yeah. So we were missing one vote and had to ruin the standard, in my view, by <laughs> putting this enormous choice in it yeah. uh, of cost or fair value. Yeah. So you can see there's a sting in the tail here. We were so upset that we then included a disclosure note requirement, which says, if you insist on using cost for your investment (laughs) properties, we demand (laughs) that you disclose fair value in the notes. I quote Chris Notes, usually. (laughs) Anyway, so, but it's very difficult for anyone to claim that they can't make a decent guess of the fair value of the investment property for any sake. Most of them have got rental income, (laughs) and they're not run-down factories in the middle of the country, their office blocks in the middle of town. Anyway, so I, I th- obviously this is controversial politically yeah. internationally. There are, and there are some other options, so just, sorry, just to link that in, it would be more comparable if everyone used fair value, obviously. Yeah. Actually, it wouldn't be that much more comparable if everyone used cost, because all these costs are different dates, so they're pretty useless numbers. Another example, my most recent investigation has been um, government grants. And there's this choice of knocking it off the, knocking the grant off the asset yeah. or recording it as a sort of liability, neither of which would fit the conceptual framework. And strangely, I, this is IS-20. IS-20 is the oldest unrevised standard that wow. we now have. Yeah. And it's got this choice in it Neither of the choices would fit the conceptual framework. (laughs) Rewrite IS20. (laughs) And one discovers that, for example, the Canadians all treat it one way and the Australians treat it the opposite way, almost 100%. Wow. Now, obviously, this is nothing to do with language then. It's just 
same old thing, previous customer well, practice. Yeah. Government grants are quite large in some companies, and in some countries, a majority of companies have government grants. We've got the data on this. Why does it matter? Well, because this affects gearing ratios, yeah. unless the analysts are paying attention. Uh, and going to have a rather large effect on gearing ratios, for example. Um, so, I think, well, and one last point, the, this old standard doesn't require a company to disclose enough information that you can correct from one practice to the other one. Yeah. So analysts couldn't correct even if they realised there was a problem. The obvious solution is either to do away with both options and put a more sensible one in, which they have in IFRS for SMEs, and in IS41, government grants for a good option, or at least demand a disclosure requirement to get you from one practice to the other. Yeah. So that's an option which does damage and is not there for a good reason. Yeah. And quite a lot of these options could fairly easily be done away with. But let's congratulate the ISP for doing away with quite a lot of options, like LIFO. Yeah and uh, the treatment of borrowing costs and the weird options on what to do with actual gains and losses. Yeah, that one. Yeah, so, that one. And they're chipping away at them, yeah, they are. but there are several more left. Yeah. Okay, so they've still got lots more work to do. Now, Chris, we've, we've only got 20 minutes and we've already come to the end of our time, so do you promise to come back to speak to us again soon about all your research? I should love to do that, <laughs> thank you. And if um, the listeners want to find out more about your work, where can they find out? If they just put my name, Chris Notes, into Google... <laughs> Everything it, comes up. <laughs> up it will come. You'll either be directed to the University of Sydney Business School yeah. or to Royal Holloway. And in either place, you'll see a website note on me with publications. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Really exciting, different podcast today to hear about some of the work Chris has been doing in the world of differences in IFRS. We will be back soon. Happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.